0: Welcome to Purpose, Inc., the podcast where we discuss corporate purpose and stakeholder capitalism. I'm your host, Michael Young. Throughout my professional career, whenever I have sought to understand an issue in business, I've turned to the research that comes out of McKinsey, and the firm is without peer globally as a producer of vast amounts of insightful data-driven analysis. So when I wanted to understand stakeholderism, corporate purpose, and ESG, I, of course, turned to McKinsey, and there I found, as you would expect, a treasure trove of writing and research and insights on this topic. My guest today is the co-author and contributor to much of McKinsey's thinking on the topic of purpose and ESG. Bruce Simpson is a former senior partner of McKinsey, where he built and led the purpose and ESG practice. He now serves as a senior advisor to McKinsey on purpose in ESG. He's also senior advisor to Blackstone on ESG, and he serves as the CEO of the Stephen A. Schwartzman Foundation. And in that role, he helps Mr. Schwartzman deliver on his bold and creative vision for philanthropy in the 21st century. Bruce's experience and expertise cuts across private, public, and social sectors. And today on the podcast, Bruce delivers an incredible summary and analysis of the state of corporate purpose from definitions and what's missing and misunderstood in purpose and ESG. Uh, we talk about the societal, the changing societal expectations on corporations and why this provides a unique opportunity for organizations to engage differently with their stakeholders. We talk about this evolving social contract and about managing the inherent tensions and trade-offs within purpose in ESG, the problem of short-termism, and why long-term thinking is where shareholder and stakeholder interests actually converge. We, of course, talk about the purpose, the, the perils of purpose-washing, best practices for deliver, delivering on the new social contract, strategic differentiation based on purpose, and ultimately what it means to embed purpose and, e, and ESG into what Bruce calls the muscle of the business and why companies that create products and services that matter and that are truly sustainable will outperform those who don't and those who pay lip service to these ideas. Bruce's insights today are jam-packed with data and facts and relevant examples of companies from PayPal to Oatly that are delivering on the promise of a more purposeful future. So strap in and buckle up for a thrilling and exciting conversation. (laughs) Without further ado, my conversation with Bruce Simpson. Bruce, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: My pleasure. It's great to be here. Thank you. All right. So
0: uh, a lot to talk about um, today. So let's start with a couple of definitions. Um, You know, how do you think about stakeholder capitalism and corporate purpose and ESG broadly defined and just unpack those any way you like. And also maybe you'd lean into what do you think is maybe missing or misunderstood in some of those generally accepted definitions?
1: Great. Well, look, I think it's useful to take a capitalist route into the conversation, uh, which would start uh, uh, with uh, the Unbelievable math, perhaps, that uh, 65% of CFOs today would not support uh, a positive NPV project that would more than earn its cost of capital if that project would cut into their quarterly earnings, such as the tyranny of the quarterly earnings conversations. And yet, uh, companies oriented for the long term, by which I mean five to seven years, actually earn a lot more. Uh, returns. Uh, We have some great maths, which shows that over a 15-year period, the revenue of long-term oriented firms grows 47% faster than short-term oriented firms. Their earnings grow 36% faster and economic growth grows 81% faster if they think of the long-term first and foremost And it's in the long term, that five to seven year period, where stakeholder and shareholder interests actually align because these are the companies that have a healthy ecosystem. Regulators are happier and less interventionist. Employees are engaged. Uh, Suppliers are more collaborative because they have a a healthy uh, dialogue uh, and partnership uh, with the company they're supplying, uh, and you know consumers and employees also well engaged, so those long term interests align of stakeholder groups, including shareholders and uh, purpose and ESG then provides um, uh, um, like a concept or a framework uh, an approach to crystallize the stakeholder capitalism, which is this long term approach um, purpose Uh, provides the answer to the key question, what is my company's core reason for being? If we disappeared, could another company simply replace what we do? Uh, Or is there something unique that we bring to society? And all companies had a purpose at inception. Some might have been forgotten. Um, Purpose-shaped strategy inspires people, uh, and it really helps a company steer Uh, its choices during moments of truth, like COVID. Uh, And what it does then is it then anchors ESG uh, and the different buckets that ESG provides, environmental, social, and governance, anchors ESG focus in areas which link uh, to what the company is actually trying to achieve, to its strategy. Um, ESG without purpose is just a list of metrics uh, uh, but purpose-driven ESG where those two things are integrated, uh, enables you to anchor ESG goals in things that count or matter to your company as well as society. Uh, helps you decide where to win on ESG as opposed to where to play, uh, to focus in from the multiple different topics just to the few that, uh, that really matter. So purpose-driven ESG we think links from that core reason for being to core priorities. Uh, and uh, helps you focus. What's misunderstood? Uh, I think there's several things. Um, I mean, for example, uh, ESG uh, as a, a list of multiple topics, uh, do you do do them all? No, the answer is you need to decide what's material to you across those different areas and then focus most on those particular areas. So focus is, is, a, is a key point, it's misunderstood often companies miss the importance of s and g uh, and focus only on e now we have a planetary crisis but uh, there's also uh, an s crisis covid's an s crisis uh, social inequality social injustice in america those are s crises too and it's important to be focusing on them and having an integrated view g the governance side is also the most visible um, of the different buckets, because what you do, what you decide to do in terms of paying taxes, uh, your board diversity is very visible. Um, uh, and so you need to be thinking about uh, you know, the governance side as well. So it really is an integration across ESG versus just picking you know, one of those themes. And I would say, uh, too, that what's, what's very misunderstood today is the importance of a narrative In this area, where there's a company story which goes perhaps from a purpose statement, but then cascades down into an understanding of where are we vulnerable? What's the area where we are weakest, where we're a negative outlier uh, across ESG parameters, and really focusing on fixing that? But also, where are we strong? And that then is what's built into the muscle as part of your purpose. Uh, and then initiatives uh, on those dimensions, both of them are then cascaded through initiatives, metrics, accountabilities. So uh, you're then seen by outsiders to have a real narrative uh, and having actions which measure up to uh, words. Those are a few points.
0: Excellent. And, <clears throat> Bruce, the broadly, your view on how are corporations doing in, in in that regard of understanding materiality, looking at their um, at, at the intersection between ES and G, how do you, if, if you were to just step back and look at the global 500, the global 1000, how do you think overall corporations are connecting to this? And then the follow-on to that, uh, I wanna get into the tensions and the trade-offs between ES and G.
1: This is clearly now a mainstream topic. I, 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 with Fortune Magazine, uh, uh, McKinsey partnered uh, with Fortune over the last year, and we did uh, discussions with about 80 CEOs. The consensus was they're spending 50% of their time on this topic. It truly is now a mainstream uh, opportunity or issue for them. At the same time, there is a lot of very valid criticism uh, out there about purpose washing greenwashing uh, you know where companies claim uh, to be doing certain things but actually when you dig a little uh, you find they're not so authentic in delivering uh, on 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 those topics and so there's um criticism is valid but i would describe where we are as storming positively right we're not yet quite in the norming phase there is a storm out there. Uh, you know there are rough waters and seas, but the wind is moving very strongly, positively. Uh, uh, you know behind uh, purpose and, and ESG, we see actually today. Uh, I would say a trifecta of underlying drivers which are are moving the current in the right direction. Uh, consumers for example, uh, who uh, really are demanding for uh, uh, ESG products. Uh, uh, Organic products, for example, in the consumer sector, they're 20% of the market, but 50% of the growth. Uh, We have a huge shift towards Generation Z, Generation Z, wealth being handed down to these folks. uh, uh, And they want a say uh, in decision-making, Uh, uh, made by the brands that they're associated with. It's a generation which has shifted from philanthropic giving to philanthropic living, where they completely blur the lines between social sector, public sector, private sector. They expect uh, uh, from their brands, from their work, uh, a societal dimension, which is important to them. Employees, too, uh, uh, are driving. uh, 60% of employees want a say in what companies are doing. And what's happening is that they don't like uh, what the company is doing they'll go to social media who are actually replacing bores to some extent uh and many of the tech firms have seen this their own employees will get together they will issue a letter that will be leaked to social media, uh, creating uh, the amplifier effect social media provides externally. And that then is seen to be a lever for corporate decision making. Uh, employees you know, expect to be listened to, particularly uh, uh, during uh, uh, COVID and post-COVID. And then regulators, of course, are stepping in uh, as well and being a lot more uh, uh, interventionist in terms of disclosure uh, and so on. So sea change is moving extremely fast. In the last month alone, uh, we've seen shareholder resolutions that uh, Dow Chemical, for example, which the last time won 7% of the vote, this time won 81% of the vote on disclosure of microplastics. Exxon uh, uh, needing to provide now three board members to a very small activist investor and its argument was not a planetary argument. It was an argument around the risk to future earnings if Exxon doesn't actually uh, uh, shift um, and accelerate its focus on emissions reductions. So this is uh, this is also happening. Now, it's not just about going to the dentist, though. Uh, uh, what we also see are companies like Oatly, which had a blockbuster IPO just last week, terrific value generated from a really good ESG story, embedded into their muscle. Uh, And so there's also uh, shareholder benefits coming from the companies that are the first movers in this area.
0: That's great. And I'd love to dig into, I I talked uh, to another guest uh, the other day about uh, Engine One and and Exxon in particular. And I think this, this connection between numbers and narrative is very important. And how should leadership and boards in particular be thinking about and managing these risks and these trade-offs and what are some of the best practices in delivering on this new social contract where, to your point, employees can issue a letter uh, or a a very tiny group, uh, an activist shareholder can can land three board seats at a major company. What should boards be thinking about and how should leadership be thinking about this?
1: Uh, look, boards have been, I would say, largely missing in action on this topic, um, and they have allowed themselves to be replaced by social media in terms of uh, really engaging. That's perhaps controversial, but I think boards need to step up. This is a topic. Boards are have a fiduciary responsibility to act in the long-term interests of shareholders. I mentioned that it's in the long term that those interests meet with stakeholders, so they need to be on top of this. Uh, They need to be listening to stakeholders. They need to have lines of communication directly with employees, too, who have an option uh, to raise issues through the management team directly to the board, rather perhaps than going to social media first. Um, And so boards have to step in. Now, boards worry about being seen to meddle in management affairs. But on this topic, uh, 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 it's squarely, I believe, fitting in the mandate of a board and yet they're not doing it as much. Uh, I think only 20% or less boards in North America actually have a competence on ESG on the board. And of course, many of the boards aren't diverse. uh, uh, And you're getting, therefore, a very limited perspective at the board, uh, which is is visible, unfortunately, and, and needs to be fixed. So boards need to engage. This is a topic they should drive with the management team uh, uh, in uh, in my view, now there are other uh, uh, tensions uh, too, uh, which boards and management teams need to actually weigh into: um, uh, short term versus long term. I mentioned. Uh, in my view, that the real trade-off isn't between purpose or profit, it's between short-term and long-term. And so, boards that are actually making the decision on capital allocation, for example, along with the CEO and the management team, they need to be having a purpose lens on some of those big decisions. Um, uh, Words versus action. Uh, uh, We think it's important that uh, uh, boards and management teams really stand and deliver on what we call purpose-proof points, uh, it's one thing to have a purpose statement, but um, uh, what are you actually going to stop doing as a result of your purpose effort? Uh, you know, one thing, for example, that is tough to do, but uh, we think very helpful to do, uh, is where boards and management teams will array their products from most to least profitable and then most to least beneficial to society and then have a good look at that. And if you aren't stopping something, you probably haven't dug deep enough uh, links to compensation. Who actually gets paid less or more as a result of, of, a, of a purpose and ESG journey? Have you engaged employees and stakeholders uh, along the way? Are your targets uh, short term versus you know, 2050? 2050 targets are, are a joke in this area, just not taken credibly. What are you doing now, this management team in the next you know, one to three years? Uh, that, that's, uh, that, that's a very big deal as well. Uh, What we're seeing, too, under this banner, if you like, is a shift from brands to stands where uh, employees and consumers expect uh, brands to take a stance on social justice, for example. Uh, uh, The cover of The Economist talked about the political CEO a couple of weeks ago. And, of course, that carries uh, challenges. CEOs are expected by their employees and consumers to actually take a stand in these social topics However, if they do so, they better have a good story which stacks up with what the company is actually doing uh, on those areas in order to be seen to be credible. So lots of tension, but uh, positive movements, um, too. I would say, lastly, really embedding uh, purpose and ESG into the DNA of the company. Uh, uh, And there's five P's to remember. What that means is embedding it into your people processes like PayPal has done into your products, Unilever uh, growing its organic products, uh, uh, I think quite dramatically, 30% higher growth than their other products, embedding it in your processes, Microsoft committing to net neutral since net uh, net zero since inception, uh, for example, into your external positions and advocacy. BP, I think, has resigned from several lobbying organizations uh, uh, on Capitol Hill. And then embedding it, of course, in your performance management. Starbucks, for example, embedding DEI targets into the compensation of their CEO, which I think is a great move.
0: Excellent. And I'd like you to unpack, if you would, your, your view on the uh, on on G and S in particular, and and the connection you make between those two, and why that matters, and and I've also heard you talk about robbing E to pay for S. Uh, climate's very much back on the agenda, yet the social issues and and inequality have not. Gone away. So again, more um, a little more dialogue around the tension between all of these uh, competing demands on organizational focus.
1: Yeah, look, it's all about building uh, building purpose and ESG into the into the muscle of the company to be to be taken seriously, and that does you know create some tensions. Uh, you mentioned uh, G and S. So uh, on on governance, for example, governance is is the most visible. Uh, um measure of whether companies are serious and and um, I mentioned um, uh, a couple of the governance topics so for example are you paying your fair share of taxes tech firms have struggled to live up to that uh, external positions board diversity the timing and integration of decisions companies and there have been a few that might make a positive statement supporting black lives matter but then in the same breath laying off frontline employees which include many minorities, perhaps doing a share buyback and then increasing CEO compensation. That's a series of, of, of bad moves which uh, uh, will not play well. Uh, and so governance, uh, uh, you need to integrate uh, your governance decisions and the timing of them um, uh, uh, to use that as a way to integrate you know, E and S. Now you mentioned uh, S. We've seen companies robbing Peter to pay Paul. They've dialed back their environmental commitments to dial up on their S commitments. And you really have to add S on top of E, and be seen to be doing both, and we've seen a, a very deep focus on uh, on S um, uh, during COVID, which of course is uh, uh, is a big uh, uh, S crisis. And the, you know the single biggest issue to the American people today in this whole arena is: Am I earning a living wage? For example, uh, in a country where real frontline wages haven't gone up for decades. Um, and where, you know, almost half of workers in the Russell 1000 can't afford to live as a family of three, even with both parents working uh, and where net worth of a black family on average is one tenth of that of a white family. So earning a living wage is, is, is very important. Uh, and then investing in, uh, in health benefits, training so people can promote themselves up the ranks more quickly, really living diversity and inclusion. Uh, and, and developing products which matter. Those would be the big topics uh, which companies need to be focusing on. There are some wonderful outliers, too. What PayPal has done uh, in actually measuring financial insecurity of their own frontline and then investing in increases in pay, making the frontline shareholders, too, is, is salutary. And interestingly, they found that that investment, which is an immediate hit to short-term uh, uh, earnings, paid for itself very quickly through an uptick in loyalty um, and engagement. Uh, uh, and so that was uh, you know, a great story, which shows that uh, investing on S can also be beneficial to shareholders. Um, in fact, there's a strong correlation between companies that pay well and companies that do well uh, uh, to encourage others to do that. And Ikea, Walmart have, 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 have done great things under the S dimension as well
0: and and i think that some of that relates to uh, another topic i've heard you talk about around strategic differentiation based on purpose and and you mentioned oatly and you've mentioned paypal and and how, how how where where's where's the future going in in that regard for organizations around differentiation on this topic
1: Yeah, this is, uh, I think, very exciting when we see companies uh, uh, whose whole differentiation uh, uh, is basically measured in in ESG terms. Um, Now, before we jump to those, I want to say a positive word for the brown fields. Uh, uh, There are green fields, like Oatly we mentioned, that have done a terrific job uh, uh, having wonderful multiples in their IPO. Uh, Beyond Meat also looks exciting, and there are others like that. uh, it 's easier for them because they built ESG right into the muscle from the get go um, there're also though uh, companies like orsted which a uh, Danish energy company went from eighty percent coal to eighty percent renewables in a period of ten years and earning terrific shareholder returns during that uh, that decade very impressive. Uh, and also generating uh, value and now becoming differentiated as uh, a green energy company, DSM, a Dutch chemicals company, doing something similar. Uh, So we see benefits for the companies shifting, uh, if you like, improving their carbon footprint. There is a very strong correlation between a measurable improvement in performance on material ESG themes and uh, you know, SASB does a great job of actually showing what is material in different sectors, um, uh, which all companies, I think, uh, can benefit from. But you mentioned differentiation, that the, uh, uh, you know, the, there are great stories of these new companies coming through uh, that have really stepped up. And others, I, I would mention Lego, too, which understood it's vulnerable on plastic in the Lego bricks. They shifted to other materials. Um, which are more uh, sustainable and then also understood their strength in terms of connecting to consumers um, and and developed a purpose, which is all about uh, creativity through play at all ages and leveraging that strength in terms of engaging with consumers to build very, very strong consumer loyalty and then building out products and and, and so on, uh, uh, which have been strategically very, very positive. So um, uh, PayPal uh, a great example, too, uh, PayPal has uh, very uh, strong data on the um, the economic plight of communities in which they're actually financing working capital loans. That's uh, uh, They leverage that benefit by providing services to those communities, beneficial for PayPal and for the communities. Um, uh, a great example of leveraging a strength to then developing new products and services.
0: And Bruce... <clears throat> ultimately this move from risk management checking the box compliance to fully integrating purpose into the business strategy into the muscle as you as you talk about it what, who who is who is going to drive that is that an external customers and capital through activists are going to demand that is it all of that and 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 how do you see it ultimately playing out in the future? And and what are some of the watchouts that that leadership needs to pay attention to here?
1: Look, notwithstanding the criticism of companies, purpose washing and so much of which I think has been uh, warranted, there are now an increasing number of fabulous examples where great companies are truly delivering triple bottom line impact. And where governments have their hands full, of course, uh, uh, it's terrific to see companies stepping up and filling the gap. And interestingly, consumers have the same expectation of companies as they do of governments in terms of delivering societal benefits. So therein lies the, the opportunity. Now, I am very uh, positive on the future. Uh, this is driven by uh, consumer trends. I mentioned Generation Z and what they're demanding uh, from uh, their companies. Uh, employees, uh, COVID upended the corporate hierarchy. It was the frontline employees that kept us going, stocking those shelves in supermarkets, uh, first responders in healthcare. And they want a say in decision-making. They merit that, of course. Um, and, uh, and and that's, if you like, enhance the dialogue of what we're actually doing uh, to help and support and engage the frontline. 85% of top management get their purpose from work. 85% of the frontline don't, right? They don't. They get their purpose from other things outside work. And yet there is a huge benefit then, this is where the puck is going, from companies that are able to actually marry that individual purpose that every individual has and then what they can actually do at work to uh, enable that purpose to, uh, to blossom. We've seen 4x engagement from companies that can do that and that, uh, you know, I think is, is a huge upside in a year, in, in a decade ahead, where given demographics, there are enrollments to colleges in the U.S. will drop 100,000 every year for the next 10 years because of demographics. You want to win the war for increasingly scarce talent, you better have uh, a purpose in ESG story uh, uh, to, to tell. The largest, most exciting, most important climate conference in the history of the planet is happening this fall. Uh, COP twenty six, and we're going to see a huge uh, shift, you know, in that direction. Everybody falling over themselves to make declarations and commitments. Countries and companies. That's going to help drive this. And um, but perhaps best of all, uh, you know, we're seeing for companies that are already there, higher top line growth, a better management of cost, uh, de-risking transition, which has a huge value. Uh, increased employee engagement, uh, lower cost of capital if you have a, a high uh, purpose and stronger uh, ESG performance, and then ultimately higher performance. So shareholders will win uh, of those companies that step into this space. Uh, and we have, uh, I think, terrific data now and leadership shown by, you know, increasing number of companies for them to follow.
0: Excellent. And, and maybe a final thought around um, this, this, Ultimately, the shift from short-termism to long-termism. How can how can leadership think about that? What are the what what's the future hold?
1: Short-termism to long-termism. I would say one: uh, boards and management teams look at the math. It's long-termism that wins. You want to earn more for your shareholders, then think five to seven years and not to the next quarter. Secondly, though, do bring your shareholders along. Um, th- uh, a great story. Uh, Best Buy, uh, uh, run by um, Hubert Jolie, during the, the uh, a, like a ten year period, uh, he's 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 now retired, but uh, um, he led a bricks and mortar transformation of Best Buy, uh, explaining very clearly to shareholders and board, the profitability is an outp- an outcome. That's an output. It's the result of us doing the right thing. We take care of our employees. They take care of customers. That takes care of business. That's a narrative others need to understand. And there's increasingly compelling math. So the Best Buy generated, I think, 12x returns for shareholders during the time uh, uh, that Hubert Jolie was the CEO, um, which is fabulous for shareholders. But at the same time, through a purpose, enriching lives through technology, uh, they also um, improve their products and services, engage their employees and did the right thing by uh, their own people.
0: Fantastic. Well, Bruce, we're gonna have to leave it there. I very much appreciate these insights. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: My pleasure, Michael, all the best.
0: The Purposing Podcast is a production of Actual Agency, helping innovators communicate in a changing world more at www.actual.agency.